everyone. Welcome to the X Factor Files podcast. I'm Philip, And I'm Daryl. And we are launching into our first episode of actual content, which is super exciting. It is. We only put out before our treasures that we found on a trip to a local comic store. Yeah. So if you haven't seen that, check out the Instagram live that is on our Instagram page. It is at X Factor Files podcast is a lot of fun. I've got one vote so far for going back to get that Iceman Funko Pop. Mm, so, yeah, if Rod, I should go back to get that limited one, let me know. Yeah, our friend Rod um, over in New Zealand said you should get it and open it. Yeah. So uh, that's a pretty convincing vote because... Um, because it's Rod. Well, yes, it's Rod. And it, I think it's something that you were leaning towards. And they do have more Generation X figures, so... So, I mean, we'll be going back anyway. Yeah, maybe we'll do that next weekend. Yes. On a little coffee and comics excursion. Um, so, we are already breaking format because we're going to do five issues in one episode. We are, because this is like a prequel. It is, and... um. The first thing that really struck me is what this is, um, and it's part of the Marvel Knights line. So that's at the top of all of these issues, and I had no idea what Marvel Knights was, so I looked it up. Because our only reference was in the Marvel Legendary game, it's a classification of heroes. Yeah, like it's a sort of team. Right. Um, which originally it was, so when Marvel was filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the late 90s... Who could imagine? Yeah, I mean, can you even imagine Marvel needing to reach that point right now? There's no way. They're Well, they're owned by Disney. Yeah. Um, but even apart from that, before the acquisition, they were starting to pump out movies in the MCU. So, um, yeah, the Edward Norton Hulk, or was it the Eric Bana Hulk was one of the first ones? I don't know. I I honestly haven't seen either. It's the only MCU movie I've never seen. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I just, I don't feel the need for that in my life. Um, so they filed for bankruptcy in 98, and they sort of outsourced some of their characters because they just weren't mainstream enough to, for them to care about at that point. Um, so they... Set up Marvel Knights to cover some Daredevil, Punisher, Inhumans, and Black Panther. Which is crazy to think of because um, one of those was a really poor series on ABC. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, one, and then two of them were highly successful Netflix shows that are now on Disney Plus as of this week. And the last one is one of the biggest Marvel movies of all time. Black I think Panther. one of the best, yes. like, people still talk about it is, like, their top Marvel MCU movie. Yeah, so this whole Marvel Knights imprint was started to boost lesser-known characters and sort of use those properties that no one really cared about or had plans for at that point. Mm. And by the time we reach 2004, when Mad Rocks is coming out as a miniseries, Marvel was back in a better financial position, and they sort of expanded the scope of Marvel Knights to do tons of limited series. And this is one of them. Um, so uh, the cover date for Madrox number one is September 2004, 
which brings us to this episode's pop culture pop-up. Before we get there, though, when you say, like, self-contained miniseries, that's different than a lot of what Marvel is doing right now. True. Like, King and Black crossed multiple times, the cross-title events. Yeah, well, that's a crossover. Right. Yes. Um, so it's still just one title. It's a self-contained story. It doesn't branch out into other, and affect other people. Yes, sort of like um, the miniseries with the X titles right now all tie into the main component. And as we'll cover here, this really lives in its own little bubble. It is not interacting with the larger Marvel world. Right. So So it's been a tonal shift. Yes, I think since this came out. Marvel utilizes limited series to pad out storylines where maybe they should just invest some of that writing into the main title. Maybe in character development, I feel they're trying to develop some aspects of character out of main titles right now. If you think of the current X-Men title, it's all about action. There it are... is. There's very little character development, which is sort of why this is much more appealing to me than some of the current X titles. Yeah. Um, Except for Excalibur, we like that because it gives um, that team, well, and by that team I mean Betsy, some good character development. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty rare, and I've seen that be a criticism of the current titles right now. That yeah. There is really no character development, and uh, that's why I'm enjoying going back and reading older comics right now. Um, I'm in the middle of rereading Volume 1 of The Avengers, so oh. I'm in the mid-80s right now. I'm coming up to the end of Roger Stern's tenure as writer, and it got really good. I stayed up way later than I thought I probably should have on a work night finishing up a story arc because it was just so much fun. So, um, are you ready for the pop culture pop-up? Yes, with the caveat that pop, pop culture and I are two ships passing in the night. Well, there are some things you're going to be familiar with. Something you're probably not familiar with is the number one song in September of 2004, it is Goodies by Sierra and Petey Pablo. Correct. Yeah. I don't know her. Um, Petey Pablo was previously famous for his song Freak-A-Leak. Also don't know her. Um, where he lists a bunch of women's names, so you... Is it like Mambo number five? Sort of. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the names is Yolanda... That he lists, but you're trying to read the classic novel Daniel Deronda. Which is very dense. It's very dense. I it, think the last time you cracked it open was two summers ago. It's basically my hammock book. So I just need a nice non-drought-related summer mm. where we can hang out on hammocks and read. That's fair. So I always insert, whenever you're reading that, I read it in Petey Pablo's voice saying Deronda. <laughs> the... Uh, Real World Philadelphia is premiering, and I'm exposing you to more of the MTV reality shows, thanks to the terrible, terrible Paramount Plus app. I am not a fan of these reality shows. The only reality shows I enjoy are, like, the sci-fi face-off, where it's a makeup competition, so you can, like, see really cool things, and they're very cooperative, or baking shows. Yeah. Like, those are the ones where I don't like weird plot lines or very my challenge right now with the challenge har har 
is everyone is very unlikable in these early seasons. Well, real world Philadelphia had a very hunky person that I was just in love with. His name is Landon. Very attractive man. He's no longer on Challenges, so you may have seen him in passing in a couple episodes. I think Uh, so. Yes, but this is where I developed my crush on him, was freshman year college, real world Philadelphia, channel surfing and seeing him. But the Emmys happened, and we are in a really weird place in terms of TV history, because both of us were freshmen in college in the fall of 2004, so like... We, I did not grow up with cable, and I still didn't have cable in college until I moved into the Fine Arts House sophomore year. And so we have a mix of broadcast TV being recognized, but this is where HBO was really hitting its stride with The Sopranos and Sex and the City. Sex and the City actually took home numerous awards. It had tons of nominations. So Sarah Jessica Parker won... Uh, Cynthia Nixon, who's currently fantastic in The Gilded Age, won. Um, but then we have Kelsey Grammer winning as Frasier still. Yeah, which I didn't... I don't really think of that show as still being on the air when we were in college. It was a very much a it's, a... it's a good show to watch with Grandma. Yeah, like reruns. Like, you're going to catch these reruns... Yeah. On like an afternoon when you're visiting with an elder. Yes. Um, But something you'll recognize is this is the year that Angels in America came out. Hashtag gay canon. It's so good. Meryl Streep won Outstanding Lead Actress in a miniseries or movie. Yeah. she. So the format of Angels in America, the it's a small cast and they play multiple characters so she does a rabbi she does mother pitt she does um ethel rosenberg and like the ethel rosenberg scenes are some of my favorites it's so good and a couple years ago the national theater did a thing where they would um they recorded it and broadcast it to different theaters so i got to see like a live version oh basically that's fun. And it's six hours, so it, it it took two very full nights. But it's so good, and it covers AIDS and the 80s and politics and sort of these such very well-written interlacing plot lines. Mm-hmm. It's so, so good. I used to watch it like once a year. Like I said, gay canon. Do you want to hear who she beat out? Sure. It's, it is... Uh... Astounding. So she beat out Glenn Close as Eleanor of Aquitaine in the remake of The Lion in Winter. Oh, I forgot they made a remake. Yeah, I mean the original. That must have been really hard. How do you do a remake from Catherine Hepburn playing yeah. Eleanor of Aquitaine? Yeah. Um, Judy Davis, who played First Lady Nancy Reagan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't need Nancy Reagan in our lives. Like, no. What a terrible person. What a 80s moment in the world. Like, why were we flashing back to the 80s between it Angels was, in America and Nancy Reagan? It was a big thing. So my theory is that um, pop culture will always echo 20 years before. So oh. when we were growing up, there's that revival of it, things from the late 60s and then the 70s, like the Brady Bunch movie in the oh. mid-90s and things like that. 
we are always echoing back. So right now we are echoing back to the early 2000s. Oh, we're doing, we're a part of that with this podcast now. <laughs> we are. Oh no. Um, she, Meryl also beat out Helen Mirren. I mean, wow. Yeah. But also that performance, like, in Angels in America was so good, it makes sense. But also, wow. And lastly, she beat out one of her co-stars from Angels in America. Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Okay, but Emma Thompson was also so good. The Angel? Oh. Um, Amazing. <laughs> and just to round out some of our fun facts from the Emmys this year to give you sort of a flavor of what else was going on, hearkening back to our earlier point about, like, grandma shows still being around and nominated... Um, Peter Boyle and Brad Garrett were both nominated for Everybody Loves Raymond in the supporting actor category. Yeah, point of contention with um, if that was a grandma favorite show or not. Uh, I always watched that with my grandparents, but in like the late 90s. Like, I had no fucking clue that Everybody Loves Raymond was around in 2004 until I read this list. No, I was... This is sort of a, a great moment for the sci-fi channel, so I feel like that's what much more of where my attention was with mm. Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, and... Um, Which, why isn't that on this list? It won a Peabody. And um, in that category as well, losing to David Hyde Pierce, who won... For Frasier? For Frasier, <laughs> was Sean Hayes from Will and Grace. Oh. And Jeffrey Tambor from Arrested Development. Interesting. So it was a very, like... You see some things that um, were brought up and got a new life in the past few years with Arrested Development and Will and Grace. Both got new episodes within the past few years. And I feel like both of them weren't as well received as the originals. No. Like, like I, Will and Grace was, I don't know if it's because a lot more coded because 2004. Yeah. But it was much more sly and witty and less heavy-handed than the remake. And I think that the remake is... I don't know if the remake is going to age as well because it is such a creature of its time because it was so critical of what was going on in U.S. political world commentary. Yes. Um, it was Will and Grace, the reboot or continuation was a direct reaction to the Trump administration. Correct. And 20 years from now, I don't know if it's going to resonate as much as the original series still does now. Because I can still watch original Will and Grace and really enjoy it. Right. Most of it. <laughs> it was like, 2004. Yeah, like, late, late episodes of that were just... When Grace gets married to What's-His-Face. Harry Connick Jr. Jr. I actually knew a pop person. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, but he's, he's also like musical theater. So. And I, I'm not a musical theater gay. I'm, I'm sheltered plant slash... I don't know what. Anyway. Nerdy. So the main reason that we are here is for the Mad Rocks miniseries. Yeah. And... Um... This is five issues. We're going to go through them and just get our thoughts and feels out there. Yeah, and we're going to do it less page by page and more plot lines. Yes. Within the issues. Yeah. So um, we're going to see how everything develops for the A and the B storyline. Right. Which I feel is also a really great thing. Having a, 
not only an intriguing A plot, but also a B that you get invested in. Yeah. Did you find this easy to read? I did. I burned through many of the of these issues in one sitting because it was once you get going, it was hard to put down. Like you wanted to know what was coming up next. And especially for each of the characters, like you get invested in Jamie and Rain. And to a lesser extent, Strong Guy, I feel like he's a little bit more comic relief mm-hmm. and not as three-dimensional as Rain and Jamie. Yeah. But awesome. Yeah. And it, did it help knowing this was a terminal series, that it is five issues, it is self-contained? Did that help your reading or did it not have a, an impact? I don't think it changed how I read it, but when you get to the end of it, there's a clear sort of fork in the road like either you can take what you built with the miniseries and build something new and awesome or you can just leave it sit with its own self-containedness and it's just going to be great and sitting there on its own like it doesn't have to be connected to a bunch of stuff um but it was i thought it was very well done yeah all right so we're gonna open in new york with an injured Jamie Madrox, a.k.a. Multiple Man, getting into a cab. And he pushes someone out of the way. He's bloody. This poor cab driver has to deal with a bloody uh, Jamie rolling in. And he's like, don't get it on the cushion. Yeah. Like, I can't. I don't want the paperwork associated with someone dying in my cab. Yeah. And uh, the cab driver is like, well, you could you could die in my cab. On the way, <laughs> Jamie's like, so could you. Mm, yeah. Um, please don't threaten your rideshare or taxi drivers, dear listeners. No, it's not good. Tip them well as well. Um, and so we just get a, a few pages of Jamie before we see Rain, a.k.a. Wolfsbane. Yeah, which I didn't don't have a whole lot of context for. So it was cool to get to know her. About this miniseries. Mm -hmm. And also see how little shit she takes. Yeah, she's walking by these people. She gets catcalled or wolfcalled. And um, she's not having it. And they disperse real quick. And she's on her way to see Jamie. And he's set up in um, this walk-up. And I think he's on the top floor, maybe. So like the fourth floor walk-up here. And it's his office, and it's the Triple X Investigators. Very unfortunately named. Yeah, it it makes me think that maybe he's just investigating porn. Right. And I think that's just a, a side gig. Like, he, he just has some VHS porn. <laughs> of course it would be VHS. I mean, not with this style of sign in this rundown location in Mutant Town, um, I don't think they have dvd players aplenty right and she walks in jamie's on the floor and this is a fake out it is not the one that we see that was injured and i should have figured it out because multiple man but i was concerned for him and he's just drunk and And she drops him back on the floor and he duplicates as a result which is a mechanism I didn't know about his power, that he needed some sort of impact to be able to create a duplicate. Yeah. And 
So he pushes his dupe back into him. And it's got this great, like, golden outline image yeah. for that use of his power, either when he creates one or when he reabsorbs a dupe. And it's a really well done visual mechanic. Like, you can, it doesn't take much imagination to see how that would look like in real life. Yeah, it's very, it's motion. It's action within a static page, which is really cool to see because it translates so well. You know what's happening, and you don't need thought bubbles or an explanation. You can see exactly what's happening and understand it. It gets the point across quickly and effectively. And um, Rain is serving Jamie some coffee when we have... Another dupe come back, and we see that Jamie's been sending dupes out to just learn throughout the world. Go forth and do things, come back, reabsorb the memories and experiences and knowledge that the dupes have gained. Yes. And it is, he makes comment of, like, it takes him a little bit of time to sort of reboot himself or to fully absorb the mental aspect of the dupe. The physical reabsorption goes quickly, but he sort of has to take a time out for his brain to catch up on all the experiences that are being now added to his own. So he tells Rain, just go down to this bar, I'm going to reabsorb this Shaolin monk dupe, and I'll be down to see you. So she goes to the power plant bar. WCW training ground with so many hunks from the 90s? Yeah, pro wrestling training for one of the federations then. Yes. And Rain runs into Guido, a.k.a. Strong Guy. Who I have absolutely no idea who that was, except for he was a dude on your X-Factor shirt. Yeah. And an action figure. He's a very large action figure. He's so large that he was a build-a-figure action figure. Oh, yeah, way in the back. Yeah. Because he's very big. Um, so for context, when you're just listening to this, uh, Daryl has these floating shelves with different teams on them. So there's an Excalibur shelf, there's a current Xbox shelf, there's an Alpha Flight, and a... Who is all that? X-Factor. And other assorted people, like Longshot and, and Quicksilver? It, yes. 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 Cool. Not, not Longshot. Who is that? Who? In the front. Oh, on the left? In the middle. Oh, that's Havoc. That is the first volume of X-Factor. Oh. Written by the same author of this. Oh, so yeah. when people say, like, the government X-Factor, that's, that's what they mean? That's them. Yes. Oh. Yes. Havoc does not have his iconic circles. Oh. Yeah, that's him being sort of a himbo. Oh, we love himbos. We do love himbos. Anyway, back to, anyway. The, back to the issue and some himbos. Um, we see Madrux stumbling in, and it's the bloody one. It's the one we expected. Yes. And he's in rough shape. He is dying. Strong guy shouts for Jamie Prime to come down, and Jamie Prime is really hesitant to reabsorb the stoop because it's like tearing his soul in two. He gets the death without the physical death. Yes. So he gets like the soul death if he absorbs a dupe on its 
point of death. So he's like, no, thank you. I I don't care what is happening with this dupe. But he sort of gets cajoled into doing it. Yeah, Rain is like, you need to figure this out because there could be future victims and their blood will be on your hands. And you might be one if the person who killed this one realizes, oh, there's another one. Yeah, and the images he gets, there's... Uh, a train, which I recognize immediately as Chicago from living in Chicago for a few years. I knew that it, the location in Chicago. There is a newspaper clipping of a woman and a knife. A bloody knife. Yes, so it really is sort of like Clue. Yeah, and very film noir. Yes. Which is a sort of like a running gag that this series seems to take partially seriously and then partially like very tongue-in-cheek with how it creates some of this stuff mm-hmm. and that was really that side note that was another really fun aspect about this miniseries both the paying homage to and making fun of all the film noir tropes yes and by the end of this issue jamie is off to figure out this mystery yes and he leaves a dupe by banging his fist on the wall he's like here hold down the fort yes for triple X investigators. Oh no. <laughs> that name. So moving into issue two, we start out with all new characters. We have a news reporter being roughed up by a group of thugs for the articles that he writes about organized crime. Yeah, this is taking place in Chicago. It's within the loop. It is a picture I can smell. Because it is always, I feel I always got random water drips on me. Ew. Walking underneath the tracks in the loop. Um, and But it's a really easy way to traverse downtown Chicago. Gotcha. It's just hopping on the train. Um, and you even have to walk underneath some train tracks to get to a local comic store oh. in Chicago. Would you like to make a shout out slash plug for a said store? Well, there's one in downtown. There's also one... That you have to go underneath some train tracks down where I lived in Hyde Park. Um, So it was First Aid Comics. Mm. And it was really funny um, because that was a dividing line for some reason from the lakefront to more inland. Where one time it was raining on the land side and I went underneath the tunnel, underneath the train tracks, and it was snowing on the lake side. It was super bizarre. It's like the passes in Colorado. You go through a tunnel and you go from full sun to full snow. Yeah. So Madrox Prime, as we will now call him, Mm. appears and sort of interrupts this... This beatdown. Yeah. And he's pretty nonchalant about it, mostly because we know that an impact will create a dupe. And he knows this. But the thugs do not. We also get a humorous moment where... Um, Madrox Prime makes a reference to film noir and the main thug is like, what does that mean? And a backup thug gives the very technical definition pertaining to 1950s crime movies noted for their cynical, amoral characters in a sleazy setting pervaded with a sense of hopelessness. Which is very different than my original definition of film noir. Like, I would have put some of the Dashiell Hammett Thin Man movies in, in addition to... Mm. Things like the Maltese Falcon and other things that he wrote. But The Thin Man is much more comedic. Yeah. With William Powell and our queen, Myrna Loy. You should go check them out. 
They are the namesakes of our Bun Buns. Yes, Nick and Nora Charles are the lead characters, and Nick and Nora are her bunnies. So when you see our photo and it has the two buns in the little cor- down corners... That's why. That's why. Because they're helping us unravel mysteries in X-Factor Investigations. They're also helping unravel my furniture. <laughs> <laughs> in their Bun Bun ways. So, um, crazy Bun Bun Dad moment aside... Madras confronts the thuds, the main thug punches him in the chest, punches him across the jaw, and suddenly he's confronted by three Madroxes. Multiple men. Multiple men laying the smacketh down onto this thug and saving Stringer, the reporter. So the thugs disperse, Madrox absorbs his dupes using that same like golden outline effect. And in this point, he sort of, like, has to draw them into himself. Um, and one of them has a moment of a very strong attraction for Stringer. Those thugs, look what they did to you, brutalizing such an exquisite face. <laughs> has anyone told you you have a very shapely mouth? <laughs> so there's a weird, um, very 2004, oh, we're so risque moment of, oh, we're introducing a queer element into mm. this. Which I appreciate, like... Like, it's not done in a bad way. Yeah. Like, so many other... Yeah. ...works have... And at this point, there weren't many out superheroes, or even, like... I mean, Iceman was still coded as gay, but he was not out at this point, I think, in 2004. Richter was. No. No? No, I don't think so. I thought some Earth-based... Gay Mutant was out fairly early. North Star came out in the 90s. Oh. I thought Richter was around that same time, but I guess not. Anyway. We can double check that. I mean, I wasn't even out in 2004. Yeah. So, at least to myself, which is really the only person that matters when you're coming out. True. So... And then Stringer's like, I didn't know you were, uh... And Madrox's like, I'm not. But, you know, everybody has some little bit of that. Dot, dot, dot. Yes. So, this is Madrox Prime following up on the second of the three clues, the newspaper clipping, with a photo of a woman. So, and he sort of cajoles Stringer into hosting him. Can't host. (laughs) And um, helping him in this investigation. Back in New York, we have the uh, assa- one of the assassins, an assassin. Which we glean from the phone conversation he's having in the background of some dude just enjoying the Empire State Building. Yeah, he paid his quarter. He is using this little telescope thingy. The touristy ones that you see everywhere where there's a sight to be seen. Yes. And... The assassin is on the phone. He's like, well, I killed the one you wanted me to. You didn't tell me that you wanted the prime one killed. Yeah, I mean, he make, he's very, makes a good point of, I did what the job required. You still paid me I, because I did the thing. Yeah. If you weren't clear enough, that's on you. And he's like, fine, I guess I'll do it. Let me finish up my current job. And this poor tourist guy it gets pushed off of the building. Yes. It's... Unfortunate. Um, new glasses being installed at the Triple X Investigations. 
Yes. And, and that logo is straight out of Triple X, the movie, Vin Diesel. It's, yes. Also, wrestling promotions trying to be edgy have had that same font. And lots of X's. Yeah. Yeah. Because early 2000s. Yeah. And we get this callback to Phil Noir, like, in the detective office, there's always a beautiful woman who walks in with some sort of seemingly minor crime, something to be investigated. There's a mystery. She wants her husband followed because she thinks that he is cheating on her and he is cheating on her via astral projection because he is a quadriplegic. Yeah, so that's there's a, a twist. twist. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, here we get sort of the start of a running gag where people are making fun of Madrox for stating the obvious, like, har har, good detecting, you're such a good investigator. Um, and this poor dupe is just trying to hold it down. Yeah. So, um, we also get a really great effect on the text bubble, which normally, like, not that I've read that many comics, but I feel like bubbles are just bubbles, except when she gives this rather scathing retort. There's little icicles dripping from the text bubble. Mm. So you can tell that she just lowered the temperature of the room by a few degrees with what she said. Yeah, so Rain and Strong Guy are going to be on the case, and the last aspect of this New York stuff in this issue is a few hours later um, where the Madrox dupe is just checking in with Rain, like, oh, you're staked out there, you're good to go, and he gets fired on by the assassin from outside. Yeah, which I was very worried for our hero here, um, because you see his head in the gun sights, and then you see in the next panel a little splash of blood and he's down. like a shoulder and yeah. a neck, like him falling out of his chair. Yeah. So it was a very cliffhanger moment. So back in Chicago, they're back in this warehouse where all these records had just been digitized. Stringer is sort of lamenting the lack of physical paper mm. and p physical files that exist. And they're at like a little Apple microfiche. Hashtag product placement. Mm -hmm. um, and... Mandox is like, that's the woman from the photo, from the memory. And Stringer's like, are you sure? Because this woman is currently the girlfriend of this very rich, very influential dude who just happens to be very associated with organized crime. Yeah. Oh, that's not a microfiche. That's just a regular Apple computer. Oh, I sort of associate the other things with a microfiche because it's newspaper archives. No, this is all, they're just looking up the digital files. Oh. Yeah. Oh, good for them in 2004. Yeah. So, yeah. Mandrag sort of ends up creating a crush for himself on this he, woman. Yeah, he sort of digs her. Yeah. So back in New York, we get the assassin and the cab driver. The same cab driver. Oh, yeah, I, I missed that part. So, um, that before he shoots Madrox, he yeah. is a, this poor cabbie. Right. Has to deal with... Um, a, a gun pointed at his head, and he, that's how the assassin got set up. I mean, it's like family drama. The cab driver just doesn't want to get in the middle of it all. Yeah. And there he is being forced to be in the middle of it. Yeah. So here we get Madrox back in Chicago, Madrox Prime, 
trying to break into the home of this influential and also organized crime person. So he creates a bunch of dupes to create a cheerleader pyramid to get over the wall, which is super fun. And we sort of get an expansion on this idea that the dupes have more distinct personalities. So these five are all like very reticent to be a part of this. Like, are we sure this is trespassing? What if something happens? What's on TV tonight? And you get Madrox Prime just pinching the bridge of his nose, being like, I did not create you dupes for this. <laughs> just get on the wall. I did not sign up for this commentary. <laughs> no. Comments from the gallery are not accepted at this time. So he gets over the wall. He reabsorbs them. Um, he puts some of that Shaolin monk training to use that he had has recently gained. And the security guards are like, what's that? Oh, yeah. there's nothing there. Uh, they're too busy just sort of chilling, not really paying attention to the monitors, because I'm sure not a whole lot is happening. And one of the the one of the security guards is reading the newspaper with the, a great headline. It's the only headline you can really see on there, and it says Magneto alive again. Yes, and um, there is also one article title further down that says President praises Wakanda. Oh, that's right. Yes, so. Um, it, again, poking fun at something, and this time it is Marvel Comics, where they're like, wait a minute. Manito, again? Are you sure? Really? Yeah. So that's fun. And Madrox makes his way to the private pool, and there is Sheila, the woman, swimming half-naked. Yeah. So, naturally, Madrox is like stupefied hubba hubba also stupefied because she comes running over and says james and to me i didn't know that james was madrox's real first name or full mm. first name i thought it was just jamie mm. but she runs over kisses him and he's like i don't know what's happening but i'm gonna go with it yeah har har and the reaction to his dupe being shot in new york he has a mental reaction to it. Yeah, I, I didn't know that he had such a connection to existing dupes. Yeah. Half a continent away. And he falls into the pool. Yes. And that's where issue two leaves off on another cliffhanger. What is What happened to Madrox in New York? Oh, well, I can tell you right now. He survived. That new glass he was installing was refractive glass that was a couple inches thick. So the image is off by a couple inches because it's so thick. Or whatever process yes. is on the pane. But yes. you appear not where you actually are, which has saved the dupe. It's just a graze. Rain is very concerned. Yes, she is. As was I. And she's like, I'm coming back there. And he's like, no... You gotta stay where you are. Um, we have this job we're contracted to do, and um, strong guy is on a rooftop. Goes after this ass assassin, and we learn that strong guy can reflect bullets. Yeah, I didn't know he was bulletproof. Yeah. And if it's just like the strength of his muscles that resists the damage, you'd think there would still be some sort of mark on his skin. Yeah. Or 
parts where there aren't so much muscles would be susceptible to impacts and bullets and things mm-hmm. like that. So that was a part that I was, I did not know about strong guys' power sets. Yeah, and they're in Mutant Town, and the mutants do not take any shit. No, they don't. So they're like, what's this? Why are there shots happening outside of my wall? And this lady just opens up with this huge gun that's attached to her arm. And she's like, no, we take care of ourselves. I was, we were in the middle of supper. Yeah. We are not stopping this because of you and your petty gun fight. Yeah. And poor strong guy gets blasted out of the building. Several floor, stories down to the ground. Yeah. Um, we cut to Rain, and she is, she's in position, she sees this astral projection happening, and she's like, oh, it's happening, oh, the spirit, it's flying across town, I'm gonna follow it, I need to figure this out. Right, with her super senses, that there's still, there's a little bit of surprise, like, oh, you can follow an astral projection? And she's like, it's blurry, but I can do it. Yeah. And that's where we leave off in New York for this issue. So to be continued with Rain following the astral projection to see what it's actually up to. Because a lot of this issue happens in Chicago. So Madrox hits the bottom of the pool. He's having this sort of like inner conflict moment. So the duplicate that's created is in conflict with Madrox Prime. And they sort of tussle under the water. He breaks free. Um... A mystery hand tries to hold him down under the water to drown him. And we get a fun little flashback to one of his dupes who took a course in... uh, Anatomy. Anatomy classes, yeah. So there's a professor and a projector with the bones of the hand. And so he just breaks some of the fingers of this person trying to kill him. We still don't know who it is. But he gets himself out of the water just in time to be confronted by... Edward Vance, or Ed Vance, so who is making advances, har har har, into the criminal world. Yes. Um, Sheila is trying to preserve her relationship with Ed Vance and um, sort of plays off, oh, I didn't know him, I don't know what's happening, I'm so innocent, what's happening? Mm -hmm. She gets very worried when Ed Vance takes out a little thing you think is going to be a knife but it's just a comb because he's a gangster and of course gangsters maintain their quaffs they do so he's just combing his hair and she looks very relieved yeah they put jamie prime into the supply room and we got a some more fun background and information on madrox's powers so a lingering question that we had was when he makes a dupe why is the dupe clothed? I mean, not in a thirsty way, but just in a, where well, did these clothes come from? Maybe in a thirsty way. I mean, he in, in some of these panels, he does look very hunky. Yeah. And we get some furry abs. Yeah, we do. But he is handcuffed in the supply closet, and he's like, even if I duplicate myself, it's going to be in handcuffs. So I need to utilize some of my other skills I've learned to get out. From interning with Penn and Teller? Yes. <laughs> so he... Uh, MacGyver's it. He finds some paper clips, gets out of the leg and um, like irons and handcuffs, and sort of has this existential moment in the supply closet of like, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? He focuses on creating a dupe underneath the door. So like he puts a finger under Thumps 
and gets the dupe to show up on the other side. But this dupe is so caught up in this existential crisis, it's all this dupe can think about. He's so like, 2004 emo. Like, aren't we all in closets? If, even if you get out of there, are you really free? Like, all these very um, existential moments. But if nothing matters, why does your living even make a difference? For that matter, how could we not been ecstatic that Sheila was kissing a guy if we're gay? <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a conversation that Madbox is ready to have right now. Yeah. He's trapped in a supply room, and this dupe is He's not being He's trapped helpful. in a closet. Maybe a metaphor for being queer. Maybe. Anyway, the so, conversation attracts the attention of the guards, and the dupe is still just in this existential crisis. Um, he's like, how did you get out of here? Who are you talking to? Who's in the supply closet? And he opens the door for Madbox Prime to come charging out. And in a very gambit move, he grabs a card because naturally the guards were playing cards mm -hmm. as you do in a film noir. Yes. And he slices the throat of one of the guards with a card. Yeah. Unexpected death. Yeah. And it's unexpected, especially from Madrox. He wasn't anticipating having to kill someone in this situation yeah. and seems unprepared for the moral implications of doing that. So he definitely absorbs this useless dupe because so unhelpful yes and then he's sneaking down a hallway to uh, um figure out what's going on what's up with sheila and eddie and he overhears a phone conversation eddie's having in russian and we get another one of these side panel um tangents to a very grumpy looking duplicate covered in frost and snow with saint basil's in the background yeah. Where he sent a dupe out to learn Russian. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, why couldn't I have learned Hawaiian? So he's trying to listen in and... He's caught. Is caught. There's a gun to his head. And we find out that the person holding him down in the pool, whose fingers he had broken, was the duplicate from the pool, who, because of that like inner turmoil moment he was having when his head hit the bottom of the pool... Just has it out for Mad Dogs Prime. Yeah. And he's super hunky looking. He is. Like, on this stool, all loungy. Yes. Yes. Very thirsty pose. And with this revelation that it was his own duplicate, the issue ends. So it's doing a good job of, like, keeping the cliffhangers happening. Because when I was going through these so quickly, it's like, oh, I need to know what's happening. I need to know how this is going to happen. It, it's Really good storytelling. Yeah. And solid writing. And good pacing. Yes. Um, issue four, we are... We open with a flashback, which I'm not going to cover right now because we'll get to that in the Chicago... In right. the it Chicago storyline. It'll make sense. Yes. Uh, so, um, we really start off the storytelling... A few hours ago, after this opening of the issue, where Jamie's confronting his dupe. Right. And, I mean, we should say that the flashback is also a film noir trope of... A burning building. Right. Our hero is in trouble. Yeah. He's wondering how he got to this position. And then that leads to the flashback of a few hours ago. Yes. So, there's some good art in here, too. I mean, not only because of the furry apps, 
but because whenever you get the two Madroxes in a scene together, it's very clear which one is original and which one is the dupe because of the bandaged fingers. So he's got those tongue depressors, he's got them all taped up. And so when there's this dialogue happening between the two of them, you know who is in control and who is the captive. Yeah. Um, they're having a moment and Madrox learns that he was married to Sheila. Somehow the dupe who got stabbed ran away to Maryland with her from Illinois to get married and and then then magically went back to Chicago. Yeah, how long was this dupe out there? This, like, fast travel thing is a pet peeve of mine when it shows up. It's almost as bad as the self-opera aging Mm. syndrome, but that's its own thing. So she reveals, we were married, and you just get a pain of Jamie's face being like, what? We who, exactly. (laughs) Very skeptical. (laughs) And so they, in a a way to get rid of Madbox Prime, Vance is like, we'll give this duplicate a gun. Because if we shoot Madbox Prime, it's murder. If the duplicate shoots Madbox, then it's suicide. And we don't have to worry about it. Mm. Um, So we get this moment of... Madrox recalling memories and abilities from having sent his dupe out to become a Shaolin monk where you are be your own light, your own refuge. He takes refuge in himself and even though the dupe is across the room, he reabsorbs him in this really weird like distorted, the dupe is being sucked into Madrox's prime. So he's having some feelings about it. And you got the little tongue depressors and tape flying off the dupe as it's being sucked in. Yeah. He takes the moment to grab Sheila and jump out the window. And these poor duplicates that are created from all these impacts of hitting the window, of Mandrox Prime landing on the duplicate, which then creates another duplicate. And there's like a whole line Oh, these poor duplicates as they roll down the hill creating cushions for Madrox Prime and Sheila. So he reabsorbs them all. Rude to bring them into yeah. existence just to land on them. Yeah. And then bring them all back in again. And they drive away into the distance. Yeah, and in their escape they're going to a motel. Of course they are. Yes. It has a jacuzzi, though, and a continental breakfast, so it can't be that seedy. And they do have an AARP discount. Oh. For over 55 listeners. Um, And Jamie leaves Sheila. He's like, I have some suspicions. I think I know what's happening here. Because she let loose some clues that someone who can read minds was the one who was taking out the other mob bosses. And creating more space for that person to take over. So he's like, oh, who else do I know with a mind-reading power? Oh, Stringer, the reporter who's actually a mutant and uses his power to write all these articles. Yeah. Exposing organized crime. So he drives to um, the newspaper warehouse where they do the printing and everything. And asks Stringer to meet him there. And he confronts him. He's like, you're doing this, aren't you? And Stringer's like, what? No. And in the middle of this confrontation, a whole bunch of newsprint just spontaneously combusts. 
and brings us to this flaming warehouse that we got at the beginning of the issue. Um, so we're caught up with ourselves with this little flashback. Yes, now we know why they're in a burning building. Yes. Rain, back in New York, um, she is in communication with the dupe, Jamie, who's in charge of things. He's with Strong Guy. They're trying to clear up this mess where there was um, bullets flying and Guido got, you know, shot off of this rooftop. So the cops are there. Maddox is there talking to them. Trying to clear it up while Rain is still in hot pursuit of this astral projection. And um, in a fun twist, Rain sees the astral projection go in this window. She pops down and sees that it's a gay love affair. That the astral projection is meeting up with Kim, who's a man. Yeah. And Maddox hears her say, bloody hell. So he's very concerned. And she says, of all the... It's with another guy, Jamie. Kim is a guy. Like... Another one of those, oh, shocking, they're gay, it's so edgy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the astral projection sees Rain peeping through the window and pursues her. Like, oh no, no one can find out. And he has a psychic knife that he uses to cut off a piece of a streetlight to try to attack Rain. And she attacks him back. And it's very instinctual. Like she, yeah. I granted, I don't know much about Wolfsbane, but if she's in her wolf form, aren't her actions more instinctual? So if she's attacked and like using those instincts to dodge being whacked with a lamppost, yeah, um, she attacks back. And she slashes the projection's throat, and we cut to him being in bed, his physical form, and he kicks the bucket, and, and Ray knows. Oh, shit. She has this uh-oh Yeah. Um, so the case is not going well. No. For In, either of them. No. New York and Chicago looking a little desperate yeah. for all parties involved. So Stringer got separated from Mandrox Prime in this burning warehouse. And in a very shadowy scene, we see a skit. Of him being stabbed with some sort of, like, it's not a tentacle, some sort of... It's a spiny It's thing. a spiny appendage yeah. that is just stabbing him. Yarg! And we find out that this bloody tentacle retracts into Sheila. Yeah, she's buttoning up her blouse. And chatting with the assassin. And with that, betrayal, bum bum bum, to be continued. We're set up for a really great... Final issue of this miniseries. Yes. And it opens up in that same warehouse. So. Um, we see Jamie trapped underneath some lumber. Because, of course, a, a random wooden beam fell on him. Not enough to kill him, but just enough to pin him under. Mm -hmm. Because, of course. And so the impact creates a dupe. And the dupe is like... Bye. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. This place is on fire. Did you know that? <laughs> um, yeah, just not helpful. There's a sort of running gag that Madrox Prime keeps producing these dupes that don't do what he needs them to do yeah. in the moment. They talk back, they get distracted, they have their own existential crises to deal with, mm -hmm. and they're just not helpful. Yeah. 
Like, this dupe who just runs away. But he comes back. Yes. Just at the point where Jamie is about to be shot, the dupe shows up with a tire iron and hits the assassin across the back of the head. And uses said tire iron as a lever to help get Madrox Prime out of there. We see, in a very film noir kind of way, someone holding a gun. You don't see who, but you just see the hand and the gun. And the dupe is shot and sort of collapses into Madrox Prime, who reabsorbs him. Which is nice, because yeah. the, the dupe did come back and he did save the day. He deserves to be reabsorbed. He does. And we find out that the assassin is a twin? Can also create duplicates. And has this very ominous line that comes back to haunt Jamie when he says, You don't know anything, Madrox, least of all what you really are. And Jamie is just focused on creating duplicates so he can escape. A, a line to catch any bullets as he tries to make an escape. However, this mistake, this escape is slightly marred because when he creates all these duplicates, they fall through the floor because there's too much weight in one area. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Yep. They fall to safety and he reabsorbs all of those dupes to he, find Stringer. He's clinging a, to life. Yes. He gets Stringer out of the burning warehouse. There's another couple moments of, oh, good job with your detective work, Captain Obvious. Har har moments. Before Stringer kicks the bucket. Yeah. And Madrox is like, oh no. Um... But he does realize that Sheila was the one who had done it. So, good for Mandrox. Yeah. And the rest of the action sort of takes place in New York. Because um, we have to set up for the big final panels. Yes. Um, so Rain is not feeling great about what she did. They're going to meet up with the client who hired them to follow this astral projection. And uh, she, Strong Guy, and the Jamie Dupe are like... What, let's just not talk about it. Just let's make her feel as best as she can because her husband's dead. Yes. <laughs> Won't go into detail as to how that it was not what she paid them to investigate. Yes. And so they do a toast to Ned and someone else in the bar is like, wait, Ned Campbell died? And um, and the widow walks over and is like, oh, you knew Ned. And... Rain is like, oh no. Oh mm. no. I know who that is. And the stranger introduces himself to the widow and says his name is Kim. And she's like, what? Yeah, and her ma- her mutant powers manifest. And she's like the human torch, except she feels pain from her burning in flames. She is not flame proof, even though she can set herself on fire. Yes. So Madrox dupe to the rescue, grabs a fire extinguisher, puts her out. It's just not a great end to this first investigation. No, it's not. Therefore, it's paying client. Back in Chicago at the lake house, Sheila's talking to Ed Vance. And she's trying to set herself up like, I would never betray you. Jamie ha- or James had this mind control over me. That's the only reason I could be with him and marry him. I'm yours, baby. Yeah. And then Madrox shows up. 
And I gotta say, like, I do like his outfit, like, the green shirt with the symbol on it, Mm -hmm. much better than the full, like, bodysuit cowl thing that he had before, as I'm looking at the figurine on the shelf. Yeah. It's a a much better look. I mean, it It, is early 2000s. It was modernized. Yes. To be more casual. And... Which fits the style of this miniseries. Yeah. And it's a... It still has his iconic golden bar symbol on it mm-hmm. and like he could use that for anything and you would know that it's multiple man yeah like wrestling gear and you would know that it was him yes so he confronts them in a shocking turn he pulls out a gun explaining that the jamie that he had met james was just sent to chicago to have a good time he was there to be footloose and fancy free and f- He had put all the pieces together that this duplicate James met Sheila. It was like, of course I'll marry you because if he's footloose and fancy free, Mm. why not? Yeah. But then when he just, the dupe discovered Sheila's evil plans, Sheila had him killed. And now she was about to kill Eddie. So Eddie gets shot in the head by Madrox. There's a red splurt. And he, he goes, falls to the ground. Yeah, he goes down. And Sheila reveals her true nature. Yeah. So many spines and tentacles and like green slime coming out of orifices and limbs. And it's very Shelob. Yeah. From Lord of the Rings. And I don't know how she's talking with these things coming out of her mouth. Like, is it a new mouth that's coming out of her human yeah, mouth? Yeah, I don't know. There's something. It's real gross. Yeah. She has him over the pool. She's like, what are your final words? And he's like, it's a paint gun. Yeah. And we find out that Eddie was sort of faking it so that Mm -hmm. he could learn about Sheila's evil plans from Sheila as she was doing her evil monologue. Yep. Because film noir. Yes. So he takes out the assassin. He takes out Sheila. And... As he's about to shoot Madrox Prime, he's like, you just go. Yeah. You just leave. Uh, Madrox Prime goes back to New York with, because his case is basically closed out there. He solved the mystery. Via bus. And good thing the bus didn't hit a pothole. Otherwise, he would have created <laughs> a very existential dupe. <laughs> yes. He and... gets back and Strong Guy's there to meet him. And Strong Guy's like, what'd you get me? <laughs> and he's like, I got you this hat. It's a Cubs hat. And Strong Guy's like, you know, I'm a Yankees fan. And Maddox is like, would you have preferred a White Sox hat? And I don't know much about sports ball, but I know that Yankees fans don't like any of the, the Soxes. I don't think Yankees fans like any other fans. It's true because no other fans like the Yankees either. Yeah. And um, the closing panel of this final issue in the miniseries we see that there's a new window installed. It's no longer Triple X Investigators or Investigations. It is X-Factor Investigations. So Guido and Rain, they're on board with Jamie. They're going to be together and continue on with their sort of crime-solving, sort of investigating things, um, being mutants for hire for different things. Um, so you're right. What you said a little while ago about this, it could be a 
fully fledged mini series. It could be um, something more like this mini series itself could be just on its own. Oh, you know what it reminds me of? What the Battlestar mini series? Oh, I mean, I mean, as Daryl's going through Battlestar, yeah, uh, for the first time, and I love it. It could be, but yeah. the mini series is its own thing like it has its own plot it has there's its a beginning and end yeah and if the miniseries was all we got of battlestar it would have been fantastic sci-fi mm-hmm. and they went down the let's make this a thing road and it was awesome sci-fi which is also what they did here with x factor and this at the time that this wound up it was the end of 2004 um beginning of 2005 because there are five issues and the first issue of X Factor Investigations wasn't until January 2006. So cover dated January 2006, meaning it came out probably September, October-ish of 2005. So there were nine months where you didn't have a continuation of these characters. But yeah, it made... I'm glad that they did. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are too, because... So many people were like, I loved this series. Yeah, it it's really cool to see the genesis of it and how they set up yes. the, the vibe. Yeah, and like the good, excellent character development. You get some sort of heavy stuff with, uh, or potentially heavy stuff with Rain having killed someone and Madrox's existentialism, but it fits their little trope of film noir and strong guy was there for some comic relief to try and keep things a little bit lighter Mm -hmm. um and you get some fun development into understanding how their powers work where rain can see projections that other people wouldn't be able to Mm -hmm. and she can track them yeah and madrox he can focus where his dupes go he can absorb his dupes from a distance um it made, it read as if this was the origins of dupes getting their own personalities, mm-hmm. which is something that we saw in the new X Corp run that yeah, the only X-Corp, lasted five or six issues. Well, it was a miniseries. It was planned to be only five issues. Oh, okay. It's one of those, like we were talking about. I see. It's a tie-in miniseries, basically. Gotcha. And... Where in X Corp you get notes from Madrox to his duplicates being like, watch out for allergies. I know some of you <laughs> develop those on your own somehow. Yeah. Not everyone is right handed. <laughs> so it's it was the origin of a lot of fun stuff and a lot of really good potential. Mm-hmm. So this makes me more excited to read X Factor. Yeah. And we're going to be back soon with our first episode of covering the main series. Right. So this yeah. was a really good launching off. Yeah. Both for us and for the series. So this got you super excited. Um, anything else you want to see from the series that you think will come up? I know that there are more people based on your shirt. Mm. <laughs> so I'm excited to see if they sort of bring in this broader cast of characters in a similar way where each of them sort of gets a moment to shine and some good development Mm -hmm. um, and growth instead of just like, oh, here's Siren for no apparent reason. Like that it's organic and built in and it's 
a fun way to bring in more people. Yeah. All right. So everyone, feel free to chime in on what you think of the Mad Rocks miniseries. Or if you've never read it before, does this make you want to dive into it? Because we covered the beats, but there's so much good writing. And if you're a fan of X Factor and haven't read it, I highly recommend that you do. Yeah, go it's back. Good. Yeah, it's on Marvel Unlimited. Um, and I'm sure since it's five issues, it was collected in a trade paperback along the way as well that you can probably pick up. Hopefully it's not one of those trade paperbacks. It's obnoxiously overpriced. Oh, no. Yeah. Like a lot of the out of print ones are just terribly expensive. Um, but you could always hit up your local library and see if they have it or if you can get it through interlibrary loan as well. We love libraries. We do. So, um, until next time, everyone, thank you for joining us. Follow us, X Factor Files Podcast on Instagram, and we will see you later. Take care. Bye-bye.